the axe of the blood god. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Axe of the Blood God, US Gamer's official RPG podcast. I'm your host, Kat Bailey, and we're recording for the second week in a row. We're doing really well. And joining me today is our returning friend, Steve Tramer. How you doing, Steve? Pretty good. Hi, everybody. And I'll admit I had you on this episode today because I don't have a huge idea of what to talk about. But the thing is, is that there's such a wide variety of games coming out right now and there's so much to talk about that it's good to have somebody who can bring a lot of perspective to things. And Steve, you add perspective. Thanks. That's my favorite thing to do. Now, Steve, um, you recently were playing an expansion for a game that we haven't talked about on this podcast, but came out not too long ago, I think. It came out, what, in August? Uh, yeah, I think it came out in August, and I got to it like a couple of weeks ago. It's the Shadowrun Hong Kong expansion, and could you give us kind of an overview of that and what you think? Yeah, sure. Um, so hopefully some of you guys know at least that um, Shadowrun came back as a computer RPG a couple of years ago after a really successful Kickstarter, like in that first wave of 2012 Kickstarters, pretty much right after the Double Fine thing. Um, and the one that they came out with from that, Shadowrun Returns, was like, that was a, is a fine game. Um, like, not great or anything, but enjoyable. Um, and then they came out with the Dragonfall campaign about a year after that, which was really excellent. Um, and then Hong Kong is the most recent one that they just came out with. So it's another full-length campaign. It's something like 20 or 30 hours. Um, as far as the, the Shadowrun lore, it is set in Hong Kong in what is called the Free Enterprise Zone, which is where corporations make up the government, as opposed to the rest of Shadowrun where corporations make up the government. Have you ever played the Shadowrun tabletop game? No, I've never actually played the Shadowrun tabletop, um, mostly because nobody can seem to agree on which edition of it is actually worth playing. <laughs> and also everyone who's played it, like I get, when I asked people, um, uh, so what's like your favorite edition of Shadowrun Tabletop? Cause I was really curious. Um, not only did I get a whole bunch of responses about which one was actually the best, I got a bunch of responses that were, I hate playing Shadowrun because you have to roll so many dice. Like, oh, and, I, okay. and I actually looked into this and it's, absolutely crazy like you have to do two or three consecutive rolls of like up to 30 dice for certain types of attacks yes it is a super dice heavy game and i had no idea it's totally nuts Um, a very complicated game too yeah it's incredibly complicated which is why it's such a nice fit for computer rpgs because like honestly the cool thing about shadowrun is it's totally dumb setting um which it doesn't take very seriously and has a lot of fun with. And the without having to do all of those dice rolls or anything, you can just kind of focus on enjoying the content of the story. Um, and I wasn't like a huge fan of the overarching story of Hong Kong, but it has probably the best individual missions of any of the games so far. So it's interesting how each of them is kind of different in their own way. Um, I think Dragonfall strikes the best balance between like a really good main narrative thrust to the campaign with good, with a couple of really good side quests and 
uh, your runners that make up your team in that game are by far the most interesting and best characters of of any of the the other ones. Um, but Hong Kong has kind of the same structure where it's you show up to uh, to meet up with your essentially a strange foster father with your estranged foster brother. People are killed, and you have to find out why and where he is, what he was doing in Hong Kong. And what's really interesting is you get into Hong Kong, and there's kind of a couple of opening story missions, and then there are no more story-focused missions up until the very end of the game. Like, it's all focused on just kind of what I guess would normally be considered side mission content. Um, But, like, you can recruit a couple of extra runners that hang around your hideout, which is like a rusted out old boat. Um, and there's a good variety to the missions. They upgraded the decking stuff again, and the decking stuff is actually kind of good now, which is a major improvement over what it was before. Um, I don't think it's fantastic because it's a, it's like stealth based, which is a little, which fits with the theming, but it's a little hard to control in that game. Like where any game with point and click based movement, it's going to be hard to control stealth. But there's like little hacking mini games and stuff in there now as well. It's actually a lot of fun. And the missions that revolve around the decking stuff are also super well designed. So you're doing stuff other than decking too. For those who aren't familiar with Shadowrun, it's a game where it's a cyberpunk game where basically, I don't know, people start mutating into like trolls and orcs yeah, and that kind of thing. Like this- this whole dumb lore about the awakening of the fifth world, which is when certain people start turning into trolls and orcs and elves and stuff and dragons reappear, magic comes back. And it's like at the exact same time that these high tech corporations start taking over the world. And it's, it's so ridiculous and so awesome. And that's really where the value of it comes from. You can really incorporate anything you want into it. The only like rule kind of being that magic and technology don't play together super well, but like you can do astral projection and you can like basically become a cybernetic organism and cover yourself with technology to the point where you lose your humanity. Like you can take it in a lot of different directions, but decking is basically you're going into cyberspace, like something out of the like the 90s, right? It's um very virtual reality yeah so the the whole principle behind decking in um the crpgs and in the first three editions of tabletop is like somebody has this big ass thing that they carry with them like a giant keyboard the cyber deck that they can jack into where they got a little plug in their head and they plug into the board they plug the the computer into the matrix and they steal stuff they steal information and they defeat counter intrusion measures it's it's very heavily based off of Neuromancer, like you might guess. Like most of the lingo around all of the tech stuff, especially. Um, but it's pretty good. It's not. I don't want to say that it's super unique in the like the tech stuff because all of the uniqueness comes from the magical elements, um, which are actually represented pretty well in all of the CRPGs, but in Hong Kong especially because it has a really big focus on um, the shamanic stuff from Shadowrun, which is like essentially playing a priest or support class. How do they improve the decking stuff? So a couple of reasons, a couple of ways. So first it's stealth based primarily. 
um, there are these little um, white IC nodes that travel around in a predetermined path and you see their cone of vision and stuff. So you kind of plot out how you're going to move around them and avoid being seen. And if you are seen, you destroy them like a little um, warning counter goes up before the system realizes you're there and they send like all the really bad stuff at you. So there's still the Matrix combat, which plays almost exactly like the real world combat, which whatever, it's fine. Um, but now there's kind of the little additional stealth element, which is kind of cool, even if it doesn't always work. Um, and then now to actually access data stores, there's like a little hacking mini game, which plays a bit like... So the first half of it, um, where you add a time to your counter that counts down for you to actually guess the passcode, plays a little bit like Simon on a numeric keypad. So, you know, whatever. It's not great, but it's something. Um, and then the actual code matching is you watch these symbols appear on a, uh, a little line, like uh, little hieroglyphs, yeah. excuse me, hieroglyphs appear in a, couple, a sequence of boxes. And from those... And which order they appear in and when they appear and stuff. Um, you try and match them up with one of, I think it's 10 or 12, maybe even up to 16 codes that are presented on the screen. So it's like a, it's essentially like a, a memory matching game all the way through. But it's fun and it's like, it, I think it represents the concepts of decking better than any of the earlier stuff did. Like they've never quite been able to nail the best way to do it in a CRPG ever. Like, the Genesis Shadowrun actually comes the closest, weirdly enough. Um, but it's a definite improvement over... It's like the real world, but it's combat that's faster. These hacking minigames um, are kind of come part and parcel with Shadowrun, but I've never been a big fan of like that kind of element in a game. Like, are you a fan of hacking minigames? Not really. I mean, like, I liked playing Pipe Dream inside Bioshock. That was kind of fun. You think but so? I like Pipe Dream. So you mentioned that you're a fan of the missions. Uh, could you, like, give me any specific examples of which ones, like, work especially well? Yeah, so um, there's a much bigger variety of them in this game, which I think is good. Uh, there's, like, your standard infiltration missions... Um, there's a couple which are like, just go to this place, kill all these guys. Um, but I think it's just the wide variety of them and the ways that you can solve the missions now that are much more interesting. Um, my favorite one that I did was, it was actually the last, one of the last story missions where you go into, you go into a corp and you've got to get to these, um, these security point computers to disable security so you can go and rescue your foster dad. And I accidentally stumbled into a way to solve the entire level non-lethally. And it was a lot of fun. Like, I really enjoyed that. In these sorts of um, games, I always try and roll a high charisma character so that I can just... I prefer to talk my way out of problems rather than shoot a bunch of dudes. Um, although the combat is quite good. that It's another thing that's improved from the earlier versions. Um, so there's a lot, there's a lot of missions where it, there are more viable alternative solutions and non-lethal solutions. Um, there's one where you go to a, you have to go to a restaurant and like abduct a guy alive. There's a couple of them. Oh, what was the, what was the first one that I did that I really loved? I'm trying to remember. Um, oh, there's one where you have to, uh, 
find somebody who's a who's been murdering all of the elders of like this techno cult in Hong Kong that provides the triads with their technology. Um, so there's like a couple that are more mystery investigation based. It feels a lot more like a tabletop campaign in a lot of ways, which I think is really enjoyable for a game like this. And I mean, if you liked the earlier Shadowrun titles, I would super recommend picking it up. It's totally worth it. Um, otherwise, I would actually recommend that you start with Dragonfall as kind of the entry point, because I think that's the one that's the best and most interesting and most well-rounded. But it's certainly not like the content of Hong Kong is bad or anything. It's really good. So Hong Kong doesn't quite measure up to Dragonfall, but it's still pretty good. No, but I also think that Dragonfall is legitimately one of the best CRPGs to come out in the last 10 or 15 years. So it's kind of hard to live up to that. What was so great about it? It's just, it's the balance of character and story that it has for the most part, but also it has a super incredible hook to draw you in, like within the first 30 minutes. And it's, it's really propulsive. Um, I know that I've talked with you before and probably on this podcast about how I really like propulsive games that draw you in and encourage you to keep going, which Dragonfall is really, really good at doing from like the first minute. Um, and it's, and it's more than just that. It's that it's actually got a pretty good balance of the optional side stuff that's fun. And the, all of the runner characters in that game are also really great. Uh, like in Hong Kong, there were a couple of them that I thought were really kind of fun characters, even if they didn't get to do very much. Like they're, Hong Kong is a game that lacks personality in some ways, like in the, in terms of the kind of characters that you interact with, it's really the missions that have more character to them, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does make sense. Well, so you would definitely recommend Shadowrun, then. People should go pick it up. I would certainly strongly recommend it. Um, and then, you know, it's a CRPG. It's on Steam. If you wait for a Steam sale, it's probably going to be like 15 bucks in a couple of months. It's absolutely worth picking up at that price. Did you ever get a chance to play Pillars of Eternity? No, I didn't. Um, that It's kind of interesting. I'm not normally into the CRPG stuff a whole bunch, but Shadowrun really pushes a particular button for me because even though I never played the tabletop stuff, I've always been really interested in that world that it's created. And also I love cyberpunk stuff. And then on top of that, like the SNES and Genesis games are also really good. They're really good in different ways, but they're both really good. It's interesting that you're, you say that you're not normally that big into CRPGs, given that you're such a roguelike aficionado. I don't really think that those are like kind of, well, some of them fall into the CRPG kind of area, but I think of the ones that I like best play a lot more like tactical or strategy games. Um, they definitely involve the whole building, the building a character kind of thing, but they don't have like the kind of stuff they think is really intrinsic to a good CRPG, like lots of dialogue trees and multiple solutions to problems and stuff like that. Um, and when I say multiple solutions to problems, I mean multiple paths to a solution rather than making a choice in the six or seven different ways you can kill stuff. Well, I think you should check out Pillars of Eternity because I think you'd like it. Maybe I will. I mean, like I've been finding that I don't have a lot of time for games and there's a whole bunch of stuff coming out this fall, so... You're playing Metal Gear Solid 5 right now, right? 
I am playing a surprising amount of Metal Gear Solid V. I was on the fence about it at first because Metal Gear has a history of doing this thing where it looks really great and all of the initial reviews are really good, but then the game itself is not particularly awesome. Um, this is particularly bad with Solid 2 and 4, but I am loving the hell out of Metal Gear Solid Five. Like, I don't know if we want to talk about that in an RPG podcast, but it's a eh, really incredible whatever. game. I, I think that I think that it is my podcast and we can talk about anything we want to. Hey, if you so. want to talk about Metal Gear, we could totally do that. I'm only about... I'm only, in quotation marks there, about 12 hours in, which is six whole missions? Six or seven? Okay. I haven't You're even, not that far. No, I haven't even gotten the dog yet. Um, and my mm. horse just learned the ability to poop on command. <laughs> which, I've got to say, that's a very Metal Gear kind of thing, but I've also heard from a bunch of people that it has incredibly practical and strategic uses. Uh, because it'll distract the enemies? Yeah, it's... Like, the stuff in that game is so weird. Um, I mean, it's a Metal Gear game, so of course it's so weird. But it's weird in, like, a really fun and functional and charming way. And all of the stuff that is totally bizarre and seems to make no sense has some kind of practical gameplay application. Which is, like, maybe the most Metal Gear of things. And this is kind of the ultimate expression of that. I totally love it. It's so good. Out of out of all of the Metal Gear games, out of the with the possible exception of Peace Walker, I think it does the best job of putting you in the shoes of the main character. Yeah, it definitely does a really good job of that. Um, I don't know, middle, I think that Metal Gear Solid Three does a really good job of that too. Mm. But yeah, but it's like watching a movie. Metal yeah. Gear Solid Five, like you are actually taking on the role of. The boss. It's, I mean, it's like a TV show. It's epi- it's episodic. But... Yeah, and actually, the TV show thing is a structural <laughs> element of it that I love. Like, I seriously yeah, really love that. Yeah, I mean, it works because if you examine the credits, you can see what you're going to be coming up against, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah, and it gives and it does a good job of giving credit to the people who actually made the missions. Yeah, and that's actually the thing that I'm interested in the most about it is the way that it doles out credit to the individual designers and like producers of each level because when you get to a game of that scale like it's actually useful to know from a standpoint of whose work should I be watching or like what kind of games should I care about that are coming out next to actually know the people who are making these things I mean that's how kind of how we learn about guys like Hideo Kojima in the first place is they're a designer and their name is attached to something awesome that we enjoy, so we watch their work. And I, I think it's a really nice way that I'm like, if this is, I mean, this is absolutely his last game with Konami, so it's like these are people whose work that we could watch in the future. Probably also not at Konami, but <laughs> they certainly seem to have put things together really well for this game. I sure look forward to Konami completely ruining Metal Gear Solid. You know, I'm sure they're going to make like a billion pachinko machines with Metal Gear Solid <laughs> theming, and that'll be the end of it. So mm. at least we got this game out of it. We did. We did get out this game out of it. You know, I I reviewed this game, as most people know, and I'm glad I reviewed it. Um, originally, Jeremy was going to be on the review, but things came up, and I ended up being the one going down to L.A. to play the game. Um 
I'm glad that I reviewed it in the sense that if I hadn't reviewed it, I would never have finished it or I'd still be playing it right now at the very least. But I definitely played it in a way that's not the natural way to enjoy that game. Did you just blast through the story missions because of because of the review deadline? Yeah, I mean, you kind of have to, right? I mean, we got like three, I got three solid days to play that game. And I was playing from sun up to sundown and I was kind of delirious by the end. I'm not going to lie. I think no, that's... it's not a game to, it's not a game to gorge yourself upon. It is a game to savor. Yeah. And I've actually been enjoying just sitting down with it for two or three hours kind of every evening and like, okay, I'm going to run this one mission or I'm going to go to these encampments to steal their bootleg pop song tapes or whatever kind of goal I want to set out for the evening. It's a game that is also really good at giving you these discrete concrete goals that you can accomplish in a play session, however long you want to make that. Like if you want it to be two hours or all day, you can totally do that and the game will let you do it either way. But it's, I don't want to say that it allows for short play sessions because I think the shortest mission run I've had so far was like 90 or 100 minutes. Um, but I also play Metal Gear really cautiously. And like that's a that's a nice session time for a triple A game like this. Like it wants you to keep going, but it's also really cool if you just kinda take a break and pet a dog for a while. I definitely do not play Metal Gear cautiously. Well, that's actually another really good thing about this one is I've figured out now about um, you know, seven missions in, I don't have to play it cautiously if I don't want to. Mm-hmm. If I want to run into a base and just snipe a bunch of guys and then shoot the rest of them as they try as they run up to confront me, that is now a viable strategy in a Metal Gear game, which is totally awesome. And I've been uh, capturing outposts by scoping out all the guys there and sniping them and running like running through them on a horse, shooting automatic rifles, and it's it's crazy. It's good. It's a good action game. It's not just a self game. I think the the open world approach really does wonders for the formula because I I'm a I'm a fan of like the craftiness that the crafting that went into the original uh well into Metal Gear Solid one, two, three, and four. But I feel like the that formula may have kind of run its course or gotten a tiny bit stale, so good on Kojima for like really blowing it up and taking a lot of risks with this this one. Well, one thing I noticed is that, so I haven't, I've played around with the open world a little bit, but one thing I've noticed is that a bunch of the map is essentially a series of linear paths between checkpoints, um, like at least the eastern half of, half of North Kabul, where the game starts. And in the process of running around there, it's like you kind of get a little bit of downpoint time between these individual checkpoint areas which would be like a single room in Metal Gear Solid 3. So it's it's the same kind of structure. It's just spaced out and paced in a way that is really, really good. And it feels really satisfying to go through. Another game that I know that we were both really looking forward to this year, Persona 5, which we talked about in another episode of this podcast, delayed till 2016. That is not a huge surprise. What is a surprise to me is that it's it's summer, right? Summer Japan 2016 is what they slated hmm. it for. Hmm. 
that's actually what was surprising to me is I thought that it was going to be a Q1 release over there. So that means we're probably not getting it until fall ish. So it's, yeah, I know it's another whole year until Persona 5 likely. That's brutal. I know, which is especially troublesome because that new trailer is really good. Um, I didn't see the new trailer. Like, I'll put it in the show notes, but, like, what was so great about it? So, it's the first trailer that's really focused a lot on the story. And what it looks like is, it looks like the game is based around... Um, we've known that the main characters are thieves, but it sounds like they are stealing people's hearts. And whether <laughs> that is literal or figurative is an excellent question, because this is Persona. Um, and it looks like in this game, you summon Personas by ripping off part of your face. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> also, there was a whole lot of stuff with the cat, who is not a cat, but is in fact a persona. And you can play video games with the cat. You can play video games with the cat. Yeah, the cat sits on, like, one of the after-school activities, it looks like, is um, you sit around and you play video games while the cat watches. So, is the ripping your face off thing, like... Persona, is it like artistic, like Persona 3? Um, it looks a little stylized. Like, I only I only saw it after somebody pointed it out in like a series of still images. Like, it's not really obvious from the trailer. Mm. Um, but yeah, it looks like it'll be pretty heavily stylized. And it might just be, um, it might not even be that because there's such a huge emphasis on the mask stuff, like the physical mask stuff um, based on the character designs and what else was in the trailer. But... I don't know. I would, based on like how how did they summon personas in Persona Four? I don't even remember. Well, in three they shot themselves. Yeah, in three head. you have the evokers, which was the first time you hear that. You're like, what? <laughs> I know. I remember that there was in the head. I remember that there was like the minor fur that people were really worried about, like um, if advocacy groups or whatever that hate video games finding out that there was a game where you played a teenager who would shoot themselves in the head to summon demons the first time i heard about that and by extension the persona the persona series as a whole was through penny arcade's comic about persona 3 where they commented on the fact that you know it was teenagers shooting themselves in the head and i was like that can't be real no it's totally real oh yeah it was totally real yeah but in persona 4 they had uh tarot cards oh that's right yeah which I think went back to the more original Shin Megami Tensei, if I recall correctly. Yeah, I think it went back to... Uh, I think it went back to the Persona 1 stuff, maybe Persona 2? I don't really remember. I haven't sunk a whole lot of time into either of those games, and it's been a while. So. Mm, gotcha. But, but yeah, it, looks, it looks good. Um, it takes place in Tokyo, like everyone was kind of assuming. Um there wasn't a whole lot of mention about talk about the school setting in it, but it does still look like it's a reform school. And what else What else came out of the trailer? It's like another Tartarus kind of thing, it looks like, where the school transforms into something else at night, and that's where you go to to do the, the dungeon stuff. Um, like it also do. looks like the dungeon content is heavily authored now. It's no longer randomly generated, and it also looks like it has a stealth component to it. Like, it looks like they're really playing up the thievery angle. Um, but, you know, this is all specula- wild speculation based on a five-minute trailer. Because <laughs> we're probably not even going to see, like, really solid gameplay stuff until, I don't know, probably early next year if it's coming out in the summer. 
Well, if it's more heavily authored, that would explain why it's so late. Yeah, so I always had doubts that it was going to come out this year, but like I said, I was really expecting um, early next year Japan, middle next year US, but I thought it was a lot farther along than apparently it is. I had assumed that it would be announced in August, like that was the, the rumor, but obviously August came and went, and when it didn't get announced, I was kind of worried. Um, when I went to Japan and July, I actually reached out to their PR person and said, hey, is there like any way I can go visit the studio? I knew that it was a long shot, and sure enough, it was, but they were like, yeah, they're working feverishly on the game, which, I mean, that's not surprising given that they were trying to wrap it up, but it sounds like they had a lot more work to do than maybe yeah. we supposed, so... Yeah, well, also, it probably doesn't help that they're trying to release it on both PS3 and PS4 at the same time. But by the so. same time, they've been working on this game for six years now. Has it really this... been in development for six years? I wrote a news story in 2009 that seemed to indicate that Persona um, 5 was in development. And Persona... Yeah, because Persona 4 came out in 2009. I thought it came out in no, wait. No, it did come out in 08. You're right. December 08 or something like that? Yeah, somewhere around there. Yeah, and so in Persona, that time, 5, Persona 5 would have been in development now for five or six years. Yeah, so in, in that time, they've what they've made a whole bunch of other stuff. You know, they, they remade Persona 3 and 4. They've outsourced a bunch of stuff um, to different studios. I mean... But all this time, they've been... Oh, the hell, the hell, they made Strange Journey. Did they make any others? They've made so many yeah, SMT. Yeah, they made Strange Journey. They made a bunch of the Etrian games. Devil Survivor. Uh, they did Devil Survivor. Did they do Devil... I think they... Did they do both Devil Survivor and Devil Survivor 2 since then? I think they did. Oh, yeah. They did no. both the remakes of Devil Survivor and Devil Survivor 2. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I know that so... It, I know it's not all the same team, but also Atlas is still a relatively small company. Um, like, I don't know what it's like on the Japanese side, but I know their U.S. office is pretty understaffed. So it's actually... It's pretty amazing that their games come out in a timely manner at all, um, and at the level of quality that they do. So, yeah, well, probably... Well, consider that Catherine was the only HD game of theirs, unless you count Persona 4 Golden. <sighs> oh, that's true. Yeah, and then... Catherine was also not like super visually um, involved like Persona 5 looks like it is. Yeah, Bob wrote an article about Persona 5's being delayed and he referred to Catherine as kind of a test bed for future projects or that's how it came off to him. And I have to agree. Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me at all um, if Catherine was essentially an engine test for them to kind of see how it would work. Great game though. Yeah, I really enjoyed Catherine a lot. You know, one of those, one of the few games that explored sexuality and uh, anxiety around sexuality in a, a mildly amusing and I, I don't necessarily want to call it adult, but it seemed more mature than yeah, a lot a, of video games. It approaches relationships as something other than a thing that you put points into, which is how video <laughs> games traditionally approach them. Yeah, it's a shame that Persona 5 is not coming out this year. It was definitely my most anticipated game of the year. Um, 
Yeah, well, and... now you can anticipate Fallout 4 or something instead. Yeah, that really leaves, like, in terms of really big RPGs, that really leaves, what, Fallout 4, Xenoblade Chronicles X, and I guess Destiny the Taken King, if you want to count that as a separate release. Um, are you interested in any RPGs, uh, any other RPGs coming out this year, Steve? No, I can't really think of anything coming out this year that I'm, like, super into. I'm kind of excited for Fallout 4. Like, I haven't been a huge on the Bethesda Fallout games, um, but, like, the if I remember correctly, there's going to be, like, sort of a base-building element to yes. Fallout 4. Yeah, that stuff is my fucking kryptonite. <laughs> like, I will play almost any game that has base-building in it. Oh, yeah, me too. And so I'm, it's I'm really cool, stoked you know? to pick up a bunch of empty cans and reforge them into walls for a for a little shelter for a bunch of dudes to live in in Fallout 4. They're also um, dramatically upgrading the crafting in that game. Yeah, they'd have to in order to support a system like that. It's I'm going to be really interested to see how it plays out. And then, you know, I'll probably wait a couple of months um, until there's a few like really good mods for it and then play it on PC. But also there... I, aren't they also going to allow mods for Fallout 4 on Xbox One now as well? Yeah. Yeah, yep. I'm really curious how that's going to end up working out. Like, that's going to be a really interesting experiment to see. And they introduced, um, and they managed to slip in map creation into Doom 4, if I recall correctly. Oh, yeah, they did. They have that Doom, they have that map creation mode. I don't know um, how they have map sharing, though, set up for that. No, they'll have something. Yeah. That seems yeah. like a foregone conclusion. Yeah. It'll be really interesting to see how like this community-authored content stuff plays out on X-Bone. Like, there aren't plans for that with the PS4 release, are there? I don't remember I, hearing that. I more. honestly couldn't tell you. Yeah, I know that they announced the Xbox thing at E3, so... The thing is, is that if they're going to have community content... Like, okay, I could see, like, community-created, um, like, missions and quests and, like, clothes and stuff. And, like, special armor if you want to download that kind of thing, because I got all that in Skyrim. But part of the appeal of being able to do these modding things is that you can dramatically improve the game's graphics. Yeah, and that's obviously something they're not going to let you or really give authoring tools for on Xbone. So, like, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. But that's still a PC release for me. But, yeah, that's the only RPG coming out this year that I really care about anymore. Hmm. So, I guess I, I, I was just trying to think of... Oh, Darkest Dungeon's coming out. Oh, yeah, that's right. Darkest Dungeon is finally getting an official release. But that game has been in early access for, like, what, eight months now? Six months? Yeah, I haven't played it since it first came out on early access. Yeah, I haven't played it at all because I've been waiting for the final release. But yeah, I'm really, really excited for that game. I'm really excited. Oh, Undertale! Undertale came out this last week. I'm excited to play that. Uh, a lot oh, of my friends gosh. have been really interested in it. Remind so. me of that, like, I... Was hearing about that. Yeah, Tell so about it's that like one. it's this cute little indie RPG um, that came out on Steam that looks like it's heavily influenced by Earthbound, like in terms of style oh, okay. and writing. Um, and the big thing that it talks about in the promo materials is you could you don't have to fight or kill all the enemies; you can make friends with them instead. So like, there's non-violent resolution to basically everything in the game, hmm. um, and you can also date a skeleton. <laughs> there are people who are really excited about that too. Oh, I'm sure they are. It's like Tina and her zombies. 
Yeah, her friend fiction. <laughs> but yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to that. You mentioned that reminds me of when you were talking about Shadowrun, and you were talking about how you like to pump up the charisma as much as possible so that you can talk your way out of solution, uh, talk your way out of battles and that kind of thing. Yeah, which I think is really the essence of Shadowrun in general. Like that is not a game where you want to get into a fight. Yeah, and the so the combat skills in the Shadow in the this era of Shadowrun CRPGs have always been like a little unbalanced and they always need a little bit of tweaking here and there, but the combat stuff, there are a couple of fights that you can lose very easily and very fast. It's better to try and talk your way out of it just cuz there's either so many guys or they overpower you so easily. Um and like that's uh, to me, that's just the real essence of a good CRPG in general, and one of the things that helps differentiate them from console RPGs and JRPGs especially is that is the dialogue stuff, like dialogue-driven content um, in terms of like avoiding encounters or changing story outcomes. I mean, that was so, the and, charm of the original Fallout, wasn't it? Yeah, well, that is the charm of the original Fallout. You can, Fallout you can too. convince the original... Uh... Yeah, the final boss to kill himself. Yep, and that's that's actually how I played Fallout when I went through it. I played uh, a high charisma character with lots of rifle skill, which made the start of the game almost impossible, but the end of the game incredibly easy. I managed to convince the final boss in Fallout New Vegas to give up. Oh, I'm trying to remember how I ended up playing New Vegas at the end of it. I think that I just killed everyone. <laughs> well, at the end, like no matter what faction you end up with, you end up on the Hoover Dam. Um, and you end there, you either end up fighting like the Caesars, yeah, the crazy... Caesars Legion or the New California Republic. And I think yeah. I, I think I actually killed them both. Yeah, no, I was doing the guides, so I had to do all of the possible endings. Oh. Yeah, that was fun. That's a little rough. Like that's a hard that's probably a hard game to write a guide for. There's just so much content to churn through. Easier than you think, because a lot of the missions overlapped. Ah. So, it's just like, and a lot of, like, missions would be more or less the same, no matter which side you picked. It would just be, you'd be on the opposite side of it. Mm -hmm. Or it's like, one of them was, assassinate the president of the California Republic, or, uh, save the president of the California Republic. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. There are... Yeah, a lot of the branching path stuff in New Vegas is, you know, determined by, do you talk to this guy or do you kill this guy? So I could imagine it actually being easy to, to handle I, that kind of thing. I yeah. wanted to start a playthrough where I would pretend to be on the side of Caesar and get in deep and then kill Caesar and then get out and then join the other side. Is it actually possible to kill Caesar, like, r- earlier before there's the story trigger where you have to make the choice about whether to kill him or join him before for the Hoover Dam battle? Probably not, because traditionally um, major characters with big story points like that have been invincible. Yeah. But mm. I wanted to try it. Yeah, it certainly sounds like it would be a fun thing to try, even if it didn't work out. Like I, But the, problem, the other problem was that it's practically impossible to get out of the camp if you try that, because like you'll just get swarmed and killed immediately, and that'll be that. 
is that what happened when I... I'm trying to remember. It's been a while since I played New Vegas, and that was not my favorite part of it, so... No. New Vegas was a good game, though. No, I really love New Vegas. Like I said, I wasn't a huge fan of the Bethesda Fallout, but New Vegas, I think, is really great. And I New think Vegas was what got me into their style game. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, which is funny, because it was an Obsidian game, not a Bethesda game. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was better written than your traditional Bethesda game. Yeah. And that's actually one thing that I'm really looking forward to and kind of interested in about Fallout 4 is that it looks like, because of the setting of Boston, Boston is a city that's not really samey in the way that like DC is, which was my huge problem with Fallout 3 is that it was like a really copy paste kind of job. Like everything was so samey that it kind of didn't really feel like you were going anywhere or doing much of anything. The reason why that works for like New Vegas is because it's, it's a desert. I mean, if you're in the middle of the desert, there's nothing there. Everything does look the same, but I think that Boston is a distinct enough environment that maybe that problem that I had with Fallout 3 can be fixed. I was really hoping that they would set it somewhere other than the East Coast. Yeah, I would like that too. Like, I would really... One day I would really like for there to be... Um, there was, The original Fallout 3, Van Ness, um, the design documents for it leaked a few years back, and part of that story was recycled into New Vegas... Um, but that was going to take place in northern Colorado around uh, where NORAD is stationed. Mm. Um, and it was going to focus heavily on a lot of the Legion stuff, but it was going to take place in what was my old backyard, which is the area around Boulder and Denver. So I would have been fine with that. Um, I was also kind of rooting for them to set it in Chicago. Oh, Chicago would be a really good one, too. Think about, like, the elevated trains, like, fighting through, like, the giant skyscrapers, um, being able to go out into the, the, the plains and meet all the crazy people who are out there, set it during the winter so you have a really distinct landscape. Yeah, it might look a little like Skyrim, but it's certainly going to distinguish itself from, like, Fallout 3, you know, so. Yeah, no, that would actually be a really cool setting. Like, I think... I'm really hoping that after Fallout 4, whatever they do, whether it's another New Vegas style, like kind of side side expansion or Fallout 5, I hope that it takes place somewhere other than the West Coast or the East Coast. That's another game they've been working on for ages. You know, they've been working on Fallout 4. We're on 4, right? Yeah. I can't keep track of these games. <laughs> you know, they've been working on Fallout 4 as long as the Persona guys have been working on Persona 5. Yeah, they've been working on it for five or six years. I think that even the Fallout Shelter, like, mobile game, I think that that was in pre-production and planning to be, like, the kind of the promo release three, two or three years ago. Have like, you played Fallout Shelter? No, I haven't played it. I've heard entertaining stories about it, and my girlfriend was into it for a while, but it's not... I don't think it's the kind of thing that I could really get into. I was and into it for about five minutes. Yeah, and also my phone is really crappy and old, so. Uh, yeah, I was pretty disappointed by it. It was cute that you could, like, send your a character out into the wasteland and you could read their little log, like, um, what was that game? Gosh, something quest, where you just build up numbers. Progression quest? Oh, progression it? quest, yeah. Yeah, I caught it. Yeah, that. That was funny, but... 
Like, it was real pain to move my characters around to fight enemies, and it wasn't interesting to watch them fight enemies. And pretty quickly, like, building up my little bunker became started to feel rote, and I didn't really care about the loot. And I was like, oh, there's not a lot to this game, is there? And I quit. <laughs> yeah, if you're not really into, like, the whole managing and building your base and just watching dudes move around, then but that's I am. totally... I could do that all day. It's just Except I play XCOM. <laughs> oh, XCOM 2. XCOM yeah. 2 is coming out in a couple That's months. not an RPG, but I'm excited about it. Yeah, yeah I guess it's not. It's really I, borderline. But yeah, that's the, true. the thing is, is that it's... You can build up a team, but it's... Yeah. Eh, I don't know. It's about as much of an RPG as Final Fantasy Tactics is, I guess. Less... Less advanced. Yeah, and less of... Uh, actually, I can't really say there's going to be less of a through-line story to it, because it sounds like there's actually a pretty involved backstory and lore to XCOM 2. I don't know much about XCOM 2. I kind of... So all that I know about it is probably what you know about it, which is that is a sequel to... That presumes that you failed the first game. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, so it ta- apparently XCOM in the sequel is like a um, a rogue underground agency fighting the alien forces that have taken control of Earth. So it's not going to be Terror from the Deep. No, it is not going to be Terror from the Deep, <laughs> and thank God for that. Like, that was actually yeah. my biggest fear, was that when they did announce XCOM 2, it was going to be like, we were made Terror from the Deep, guys. And that, you know, maybe they could do something good with that, but probably. Terror from the Deep was fine. It was just really hard. I'm not a huge fan of Terror from no, the Deep. No, no, it wasn't very good. Yeah. I mean, it was better than the crap that came after it. This is very true. So, yeah. But anyway, no. Yeah. Do we even know when XCOM 2 is coming out? I think it comes out in November or something. Yeah. It's coming out very soon. It's, yeah, uh, everything's it's coming one, out. It's another one of those games that's kind of like, I forget about it until I suddenly remember it, and then it's, oh, that's coming out in a couple of weeks. This is a really packed fall season. Like, this is the most packed fall in a couple of years, isn't it? Oh, yeah, for sure. They've All of the developers have they've gotten used to the consoles, and now they're wheeling out the big guns. Yeah. I mean, you could say Bloodborne was the first really significant next-gen release. Um, like last year, like I can't even, I can't even. I, I suppose Dragon Age Inquisition was pretty significant. Yeah, sort of, but that was also. I mean, that was a game that's. I still think of Bioware games as PC games and not as console games. So it's hard for me to think of that as a significant next-gen title. Oh, Shadow of Mordor came out last year. That was uh, pretty significant. Yeah, Shadow of Mordor. And then, yeah, you're probably right about Bloodborne. Speaking of which, doesn't the uh, the expansion or DLC for Bloodborne come out this year as well? Yeah, Bob wrote about it. Oh, um, I started playing. Too. I started playing Bloodborne. I got reasonably far. Yeah, where did you stop? <sighs> I was heading off to fight the Bloodstarved Beast. Oh man, that's not even close to reasonably far. You were like okay. maybe twenty to. 30% of the way through. Allow me to rephrase that. I was reasonably close to scratching the surface. Yeah. You were, that's, I think Bloodstarved Beast is the first fight where the game starts getting really good, too. So, But you're not going to have time to pick that up until next year now. 
I know. I've been playing all the sports games lately, which are basically RPGs in themselves. Um, yeah. I mean, you so want to talk about you want to talk about your twenty-two man RPG for? Oh my god. Right. <laughs> yeah, let's not talk about that. Ugh, yeah, I'm not even going to get into that. That was such a stupid thing. Um, are you playing Destiny? I have not, nor will I ever play Destiny, because it is a game that does not appeal to me, but I hear that you have some problems with the way that they're selling the expansion. It's so stupid. I I bought Destiny last year at launch, and they actively punished me for it. It was like, okay, so I bought the vanilla version, and I played for a little bit. It was fine. Um, I got up to level 10, and then... I had other games I needed to play, so I stopped playing because that's my lot in life. I'm, I'm always moving on to the next thing. And then everybody like hit the level cap and quit. And I just put aside Destiny for quite a while. But then now Taken the King is coming out and I've finished Phantom Pain and everything. So I'm like, Oh, what should I play? Well, I guess I could play Skyrim or I could play a sports game or I could play Bloodborne, but I should probably jump into Taken King, so I have a relatively educated viewpoint on this. So, I went to download Taken King, but I couldn't figure out how. Like, I went into the store and it was like, Taken King! I'm like, okay. It's like, you can't download Taken King. I'm like, <laughs> uh, okay, why? Because you need both the expansions. Uh, okay. How do, uh, expansions? Is there a bundle or something where I can get the bundle, the expansions and Taken King? No. The only way to do it is to buy the, the legendary edition that includes the original game plus the expansions plus Taken King for $59.99. So the same price that you paid for it at launch. Yeah. And I'm like, I already own the game. I don't want the game. Okay. Uh, but basically the only way to really get around that is to sell back the vanilla version. Um, and then you, and then reinvest that money into the legendary edition, which is a giant hassle. God, that's going to be, that is going to be such a pain for people working at GameStop too. They're going to, they're going to be taking in a bunch of destiny trades towards destiny. And the weirder thing is that they've basically said, um, well, thanks for playing our really flawed game for the past year. Here's the real version. It's called The Taken King. And um, I'm afraid to say that if you're not willing to buy The Taken King, well, tough luck because you're going to be locked out of a lot of the content from now on. So how much of the game did they lock out? that was originally in there that is now considered to be like Taken King content. They had an article over on Kotaku that detailed all of the, the content that vanilla destiny players wouldn't really be able to do. And it was pretty significant. So I was like, Oh, well, okay. So if you want to keep playing destiny, I I guess you got to get the expansion, which I mean, and not only that, but get the other two expansions as well. Yeah, I wish that I could say, honestly ask the question, what led them to make this crazy business decision? But the answer legitimately just is, it costs too much to make a game like Destiny. Like, I, how else could they possibly 
even come close to making their money back or making enough of a profit to justify it beyond making you pay another $60 for the expansions and the original game and the expansions and all the new stuff instead of letting you get those three things piecemeal for like 10 or 15 bucks each. You know, when I play it, I'm like, oh, yeah, I can see where they're going with this, right? Because, like, I was hanging out, I was playing the game, I was generally enjoying it, I guess. Um, some a, of my <laughs> other friends were playing it. That's a really good box quote. I was generally <laughs> enjoying it, I guess. Some of my other friends were playing it, and we were hanging out in a party, um, and, like, just talking and stuff while we played. And I got to this boss, and it was a really annoying boss to fight solo because um, he his we- his attacks are hard to avoid, and he's like teleporting all over the screen, and then he keeps summoning minions, which do a ton of damage and are hard to avoid, mm-hmm. especially if you're at level twenty five, which is the the baseline for taking king which most people will be because they will just um, advance up their character automatically using the little token that comes with the game. Right. But so I was like having a lot of trouble. And then my friends were like, oh, we'll help you out really quick. Give us a sec. And so they just so I left the battle and they jumped in and we we basically went right back to the boss. Like I didn't have to do the whole mission again. And we killed the boss together. And I was like, oh, sweet. Okay, that was awesome. Great. Yeah, I totally understand that. That's like a very, that's a very modern gaming ex- gaming experience right there. Yeah, so the thing that I've heard about Destiny is that even people who don't necessarily like the game a whole bunch, they love playing with other people, and that's the real appeal of it for them. So, I mean, if they've actually made the game better and they've created more stuff in it that is fun to do with people or requires that you have other people there to play with, even if it's just rando pubs. Like, that's a step in the right direction for it, obviously. Oh, yeah, it's a dumbed-down, less compelling, less expansive World of Warcraft for consoles, in which you shoot stuff. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, it's just a a lot of MMO fans would say that World of Warcraft itself was dumbed-down compared to other MMORPGs, and you can debate that all you want, but... Destiny is, it layers on systems for the sake of layering on systems. Like half of what it's doing makes no darn sense. And I don't actually appreciate it. I don't, ex- I don't appreciate complexity for the sake of complexity. And I also don't appreciate the fact that so much of it is a dice roll about what you're going to get in terms of gear. Right. But I mean, there are a lot of console gamers as we're seeing who are in their 30s and don't have a lot of gaming time in their lives these days. And they're going to take their like couple hours a night to hang out with their friends or like in the case of a good friend of mine, his brother across the country, and they're going to go shoot some aliens in the face and chat and it's going to be fun. Yeah, I mean, you just accurately described how I spend my gaming time these days, except for replace shooting dudes in the face with friends across the country with sitting on the couch and playing Metal Gear while my girlfriend gets really anxious and upset that I'm not petting a dog. <laughs> I feel like I'm not going to sit. Okay, I gotcha. <laughs> 
I'm not gonna. I'm just gonna move on. Okay. Um, <laughs> our mutual friend Anthony is also playing this game, uh, Metal Gear Solid Five, and uh-huh. he has a party copter. He painted oh. it purple, and he got a loudspeaker that plays "Take on Me" oh, man, whenever awesome. it shows up. Yeah, my current helicopter song is uh, She Blinded Me With Science, but I'm really hoping I can find something better soon. Mine's I love that Kids song. Kids in America. Oh, Kids in America would be a good one. Oh, that mm. seems to be a popular one with a lot of people, actually. I also had Final Countdown. Oh, Final Countdown. Oh, man. That's one that you can find. I enjoy Gloria. There's so much crappy 80s pop. It's great. I know. There's some really... God, that's... Such an amazing thing about Metal Gear Solid Five, not to like run back to it, but the attention to detail and how that world is constructed in terms of play- setting and time is really phenomenal, especially considering that the other Metal Gear games, aside from Metal Gear Solid Three, kind of don't have that. Um, maybe Peace Walker does, but like they're they're all kind of vaguely semi futuristic now ish except for the ones that are explicitly set in a very specific time and they totally nail it it's awesome it's going to be it's good it's it's been a good year for video games it's going to take a major upset to make this not be my game of the year yeah that's kind of how i'm feeling about it too like i was I mean, for I was really, really strong on Bloodborne for a long time this year, but mm. it's, it's really between Bloodborne and Metal Gear Solid Five for me. I've I've got to say that I think that Metal Gear Solid Five is more robust and more fun. Mm-hmm. Um, like you're still at a point in Bloodborne, like there's a point around eighty percent of the way through or so where it kind of became more button mashy and like less of a a technical game. And I started losing interest in it. Yeah, I've um, heard Dark Souls fans say that it was more arcadey, quote unquote. No, it's like the arcadiness of the the first portion of it that I really love. The way that I described it to a friend was, um, "Bloodborne is the God Hand of Dark Souls." <laughs> yeah, that I've never played God Hand, um, which I am ashamed of, but I, I think see you'd that. probably enjoy God Hand. It's got some really like goofy shit in it but it's a fun game hmm I I really like Bloodborne's atmosphere I I think the art direction in that game is amazing and when I play it um there's I, I think I wrote an article saying something to the effect of Bloodborne makes is like the first video game in quite a while that has made me feel things which is to say, it's made me feel tension, it's made me feel dread, it's made me feel like awe, it's made me feel excitement. Um, which is not something that I can say for the majority of like AAA games. Yeah, it's, I'm, well, I mean, that's what all of the Souls games are really good at, right? And I mean, I'm including Bloodborne in that. They're really good at creating this very specific sense of place. And not just that, but a sense of place where it's a place that you feel like is a a lived-in place that you could inhabit and that tells a very specific story about what has and is and is going to happen there, which is why those games work so well. Hmm. Yeah, I think so, for sure. Even though, amusingly enough, like the story 
isn't front and center, so a lot of people assume that there isn't really a story to the game. No, Bloodborne especially actually has... Like, Bloodborne's story, I think, is way more intricate than any of the other Souls game stories. And I mean, it's told in the same way. It's told through, like, item flavor text and environment cues. But there's some fucking weird stuff going on in that game. Hmm. Well, outside of Bloodborne... Is there an RPG that has come out this year that you would recommend to our audience? Uh, that I would recommend. Well, I mean, I would recommend Hong Kong. I would recommend. Yeah. Um, I would recommend Bloodborne. I'm trying to think of any other RPGs that I played this year that came out. I will provisionally recommend Undertale because so many of my friends have been really strong on it, but I haven't had time for it myself yet. Um, if I get some, I'll tell you how it is. Um, I don't know. Like, I'm really trying to think about what else is coming out this year that is an RPG or that has come out that I would really, really strongly recommend people pick up. Is there uh, anything that you haven't hmm. played that you want to get around to? Um, I do want to get around to. Um, I do want to get around to. I think that there's a couple of roguelikes that either just came out or are coming out. Like, um. I mean, Darkest Dungeon when it comes when it gets out of the uh, the pre-release, um, Flame in the Flood I think is either going into beta, like an official beta, or coming or getting an official release later this year. Um, I'm really interested in that one too. That's the post-apocalyptic Southern, like Louisiana set roguelike designed by a bunch of former Irrational staff. Um, And then I'm also really interested in Bedlam is like kind of a tactical roguelike that just got released today, actually. I'm excited to try that one out, too. Tactical roguelike. Yeah, it's sort of a... I backed on the Kickstarter, and it's sort of like this weird... It's kind of like a cross between... God, this is the dumbest thing to say because Fallout is Mad Max, but it's kind of a cross between Fallout and Mad Max in that the battles largely take place in kind of the isometric um, turn-based way, but a lot of the game revolves around moving a large vehicle around the map and building it up. Um, So I'm actually kind of interested in that one, too. It seems very FTL-esque in that kind of sense. So, and in the meantime, Persona 5 and Final Fantasy 15 another year. Maybe. I'm not so excited I'm not so excited for Final Fantasy 15, but we'll see. Maybe it'll turn out to be good. I don't know. It's certainly I'm reserving looks, judgment. It it looks unusual and I'm intrigued by the fact that it looks unusual. I mean, we've talked about this before, but yeah, maybe maybe it'll be good. I'm I get to wait and read reviews whereas you will probably have to play the game regardless to write one. Yes. Yes, I will. Xenoblade Chronicles X. Yes? No? Uh, maybe. I still haven't played Xenoblade Chronicles. I need to get it's my It's nothing like Xenoblade Chronicles. Oh, really? Yeah, it's... Xenoblade Chronicles is a more traditional JRPG with a, a fairly expansive world. It's actually more linear than it looks. Uh-huh. Um, there's a lot to find and do in that game, which is cool. Um... But by and large, like you're following a pretty like robust story. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Xenoblade Chronicles X is like an MMO almost. Like oh, wow. or it's an open world game. It's weird. Like you're exploring a giant world. There's a lot of fetch quests by all accounts. Um same battle system with um some additions. It's on an HD console. Uh, it's apparently lore-wise on a different world. And by all accounts, the story is quite a bit thinner than Xenoblade Chronicles. But yeah, they're not they do not connect outside of having vaguely similar like settings. Yeah, well, maybe I'll give that a shot too. Oh, actually, as uh, an honorable mention for a game that came out this year that you should buy is uh, Grandia 2 got a PC release. Oh, yeah. Uh, and we talked about that a couple of months ago on our uh, turn-based battle systems when we discussed oh, those. Oh, we did, yeah. And that was a good game. It is a good game. So if you've I never highlighted played Grandia it. 2, absolutely pick that up on Steam for $10 or whatever it is, or, you know, wait for your Steam sale and buy it for three bucks or buy it in whatever Sega mega pack there is and get Valkyria Chronicles while you're at it. I heard there are some problems with the the port. Yeah. I've heard that there are some problems with the port as well, but it's not like you can easily find a cheap dreamcast copy of that game. No, not anymore. Yeah. And I don't think you would want to anyway, because it's certainly not going to look good on your average HD TV. No, that is a game that is, definitely not aged well graphically and well no. i mean you plug your you plug your dreamcast into any hd set it's probably not going to look great unless it's check grind radio did it look good when it came out grandia 2 or did you play it when it came out i didn't play it when it came out but i remember when i did finally sit down to play some of it um in the mid 2000s i was not impressed with how it looked i remember it looked fine um, but I was also comparing it to PlayStation games, like yeah, PlayStation looks, 1 games. It definitely looks better than PlayStation 1 games. By and large, it was sharper and cleaner, but other than that, no, it has, I think its thing is that it has really good music and a great battle system, which I yeah, mean, that's like two, uh, two parts of like the holy, tri- the holy RPG trifecta, right? Yeah, wasn't it also like one of the last major JRPGs where the end goal is to kill God? Spoiler alert, I guess, for a game that's 15 years old. Do you kill God? I thought you were fighting they, like a demon. I Well, like a, some sort of God thing. I don't remember the whole you're the killing story like all of the do- You're killing all of the body parts of God. Okay, you know, close enough. Like... God and I thought it was the and I thought it was a demon for some reason, but like uh, the main thrust of the story is that there's like this this girl who's very pious and she's basically none, but she has an alter ego who's like a demon. You know, am I remembering this right? No, this this sounds pretty correct to me. I mean, this and she's trying to bring back like this one demon and. The way it works is that you'll go and you'll fight like the one of the demons like aspects, which will be like its eyes or whatever, and you'll kill it and then she'll take it into herself. So you're aware of the fact that you're basically helping her agenda, but she's helping you. So there's not a lot you can do throughout the story. Yeah, yeah that that sounds like late 90s, early 2000s JRPG story. Kind I of liked stuff. it. Yeah could be worse that's for sure 
Could be besides, worse. it's a game that you don't really play for the story. You play because the battle system is so awesome. Well, we got a lot of games left to play, but if you can take a break, definitely go play some Grandia too. Yeah. In so the meantime, games. so many games. In the meantime, Steve, where can we find you? Uh, you can find me on that internet um, at a tweeting twit on Twitter. You'll probably be able to find me on an AOL CD that gives you 300 free hours of access soon. <laughs> um, and also you can find me at genericdomain.name, where hopefully I will have some time to actually post some writing soon. How many people would actually get that reference at this point? The AOL like, CD? How much of our listening audience has actually seen an AOL CD in the wild? I don't know. Why don't you leave a comment if you don't remember AOL CDs in the mail? Because <laughs> I bet a lot of our view- listeners were born in the 90s. You know, if in the 90s, like maybe if you were a kid that went and got the mail, you came back in with a CD and you were like, oh, this is pretty cool. And then your dad or whoever's like, go ahead and use it as a coaster. Yeah. Or put it in the microwave. That was a good one. Oh, man. I never we did used- that. I was a good kid. We used them as Frisbees. They're good I, frisbees. I think I used one as a frisbee once, but I mostly used them as drink coasters. Or we used them as art. Oh, that's a good one too. Cut them up, like use them in a in a collage or something. I'm sure somebody at my high school did that. It felt so illicit because we were taught, or at least I was taught, to be very like good to CDs. Like, I, she's like, I, be very careful. You might scratch them. You know what? AOL CDs might actually have been the turning point where our generation decided, you know, you can fuck up a CD. It doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, well, are you going to keep playing Metal Gear Solid 5 or is there anything you're going to move on to? I am going to be playing Metal Gear Solid 5 until I am done with that game, which apparently means I'm going to be playing it for the rest of my life at the rate I'm going through it. It's not a terrible thing. There are definitely Savor worse it. games that I could play forever. That game's a feast. Enjoy it. Savor I it. am going to enjoy it. In the meantime, I've got a gigantic pile of sports games and Destiny the Taking King to play. So, in any case, Steve, thanks for dropping by. Yeah, it was a pleasure to be here, as always. Um, maybe if I do get around to playing Undertale, I can talk with you about that in a couple of weeks. But we'll see. I'm sure yeah, there will well, be better things for you to talk about in the in the coming weeks as more and more new games come out. I see Fallout 4 coming, like a coming storm. Yeah, well, for you, that because game I'm really going is going to be, be on a that storm. Game. You're going to be on the review, so you're going to have a really excellent 150-hour, uh, three-day week there. You know what? I forgot Witcher 3. Oh man, yeah, Witcher Three came out. You know, that I might didn't... be in the game of the year conversation. Yeah, I didn't. I'm not really huge on the Witcher games, but if you like that kind of thing, I hear that Witcher Three is the best of them. So, I'm. It was good. <laughs> I I have I have thoughts on that, which I have voiced in other in other podcasts. I'm sure I'll get to another another podcast. But in any case, I've been Cat Bailey and. Next week, hopefully we can talk more Taking King with Jazz, who is in the process of reviewing it. Barring that, I'm going to be in Europe next week, so maybe I can grab some of the Eurogamer people and we can talk European RPGs, which would be pretty cool. But in any case, Steve Tramer, thanks for dropping by. I've been Cat Bailey, and until next time, happy adventuring.